Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer, joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. I'm fantastic. Thank you, Peter. I haven't asked that question yet. How are you, Paul? <laughs> I mean, well, uh, no, we need, we've got a packed program, Peter, so we need to keep rocking and rolling here. <laughs> exactly right. So on this week's show, we have monies. Uh, well, it's not for monies. She used to be monies. It's the Bauer Magazine's finance editor, Effie Zahos, talking about what everyone needs to know about financial literacy. Jason Hulich from Centuria on investing in property when you are not actually buying the bricks and mortar in your own name, Paul. Just give a, a quick example. Well, I, I guess what uh, Jason's going to talk about are things like property trusts that invest in big commercial buildings yep. and factories and uh, other office parks. Mm. And uh, look, had some fabulous returns over the last few years. So, um, And Centuria is a, is a leader in putting some of those... And a listed uh, company. As and well. a listed company as well, putting some of those things together. Okay, and then Dr. Ross Walker, the great cardiologist, will tell us why your arteries could be getting clogged and you don't know it, and you're a candidate for a heart attack or stroke. We'll try to get you to avoid those scary outcomes, if only for ratings purposes, but we also, because we love you as well. Now, I've got to put you on the spot, Peter. Have you ever had a scary outcome? Oh, most definitely. Walker, save me. Save me. I had an 80% blockage of a, an artery called the Widowmaker. And if it wasn't for Ross Walker making me go out and do the test, I wouldn't be here yapping today. Um, now, Paul. So you're going to be paying particularly close attention to make sure oh, yeah. that you're I, still I want oil monitoring this thing closely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I want oil listeners to realise, and I was super fit. You know, I was. I got found out walking up a mountain between Comoli and Portofino, which you know was probably a seven k mountain of steps the whole way, and that's why I thought, hang on. I'm not as fit as I thought I was. And that really made me go to the cardiologist. Having a mate as a cardiologist is a good thing as well. That's a good idea. First first step to living longer, have a mate as a cardiologist. Well, now, that, Paul, that's part of our money program, right? That's part because, of the money program. Because, you know, live longer, that means it's more time to invest the money. And it also means uh, thinking about challenges, also how you leave that money too. So yeah. it's well, all, and, it all goes also, together. Also, when you think about Walker, um, save your money, because you invested in our business. I did. If I carked it, <laughs> you have to carry me around like uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, Drat, I could have claimed on my key man insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you got that, have you? All right. So finally, Paul, before we go to Ross, uh, before we go to the well, show. I'm myself, general, Peter, of course. <laughs> What about ScoMo and, and the confidence rebound in housing, yeah. property and well, stocks? Well, a great weekend in uh, auction clearance rates. Mm. I, I can't say I'm surprised because, look, a lot of things have happened. But elections are always bad for markets yep. and people put off things. And just like, uh, you know, um, a lot of buyers don't go out in election weekends, sellers don't list. And so it's not unnormal that uh, it does rebound. But certainly the, the double tick of ScoMo plus talk of lower interest rates, Plus all the, na the, the nasties that were going to come in terms of uh, – and, and the banks easing up on credit a little bit, which yeah, came out as well. Yeah, good at last. So you've sort of got ScoMo, no nasties in terms of negative gearing, discount cuts, right, change to the discount, the capital gains tax, yeah. uh, cash rates easing and potentially the APRA making credit. And tax cuts as and well. And tax cuts as well to come. So, uh, so you, 
The second half could be a lot better than the first Not half. Not surprising we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in support for the home market. I mean, long overdue, Peter. I've actually said for a long time I thought this was the year to buy. Uh, yeah, you know, and then the data there, as much as anything, is that when we've seen before in housing corrections, typically they're around about 12 to 15%. Mm. They don't crash 40%. No. Which, which some of their doomsdayers want to hear. That's what we've ha- sort of had in Sydney and Melbourne, at least, yeah. in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, with any further ado, let's go to Effie Zahos from Bauer Magazines. Effie Zahos, welcome to the show. A pleasure to be on your program. All right, so Effie, um, you've been you know, doing stuff on financial literacy for a long, long time. What's wrong with the normal Aussie out there when it comes to financial literacy? It's a, it's a question I ask myself because, Peter, as you know, I mean, you're in, in this space uh, as well. There is so much financial information out there, and it's coming from all angles, whether it's you know independent, whether it's not independent, whether it's the government bodies or schools and so on. Yet when you look at the results out there, we're not any better. I mean, when you look at the Hilda survey that came out, they were what I thought five very simple questions. And if you haven't had a chance to go on that, I really strongly urge you to do that. So what does that say for my my listeners? It's the Hilda? Hilda survey. Um, Just Google that. Five questions. It won't take you any more than a couple of minutes to do. And basically, it it checks, uh, you know, risk for return, diversification, interest rates, simple questions. Uh, I'll give you one example. I think one on there is like if I had $100 and the interest was 2% per annum, how much money would I have at the end of the year assuming no fees were charged? Mm. And the results that came out of that were alarmingly and surprisingly shocking because not only did both genders fail, men, uh, I think, uh, that got five out of five, only about 49.9% of men got five right, Mm. so just under the 50% mark. And women, it was as low as 35% Mm. got the five right. Do you think think this is cultural or is it just because we're not interested in things like money despite all the content out there? Look, I think when we're looking at financial literacy, a lot of it can be a case of, is it really financial literacy? Is it marketing? Is it institutions jumping on the bandwagon for their own kind of purposes? And then there's a case of, it's one way to go in and educate consumers, but if the institutions aren't playing fairly, if they're not really adhering to this and working on the same page, then it kind of counteracts all the hard work that you know we are trying to do as consumers. Um, and I think that's where we probably are going wrong the, the approach and how we do it because I think if it's not coming from the institutions as well then really they're always a step ahead of us well, but Effie when you think about it hmm. if, you, if we say that the improvement in the population when it comes to money is pretty poor and hmm. we look at the people who have been responsible for it like Effie Zahas Peter Switzer, Paul Clitheroe, hmm. David Kosh, hmm. Ross Greenwood gee we've failed shockingly haven't we I put my hand up and say, yeah, yeah. I, I agree to a certain extent with yeah. that. Um, I guess Scott but, Pape should be thrown in there as well because he's, he's been in there absolutely. doing Scott no Pape value whatsoever. For <laughs> I believe that, Scott. If you're listening, you are the number one reason why we failed that test. That's right, because he sold the most books, therefore he's failed the most. <laughs> do, do you think, Effie, that the, the industry itself, though, has a – has a huge vested interest to make keep it complex. And also, uh, one thing that strikes me is the regulators, uh, despite all their good intentions, seem to, 
you know, everything from the regulator from ASIC down seems to just add more and more pages of information and warnings and stuff. And I wonder whether consumers just tune out to all this stuff. Yeah, to a certain extent, absolutely. But then it's a case where we've got a whole lot of disruptors coming through, or even if they're not disruptors, old school, in the sense that you know we'll have some kind of financial warning or safety on the side, but yet mm-hmm. the the product itself, or the terms of the conditions, or the spirit of it, it, it is um, not in the general interest of the public. And that's what I find annoying um, that we're not fixing it from the, the you know the, the, the kind of core. Uh, and look, there's no point you know having products out there for consumers knowing full well that it changes the behavior behavioural economics of spending and then saying, oh, but it's okay because, you know, if you do have a problem with this product and spending, there, there's a you know a financial literacy course that you can take and get help. Mm. Do you think also a lot of people think all this money stuff is in the too hard basket mm-hmm. and I just haven't got time for it so I won't do it, which is all crazy stuff, but do you think a lot of the population are sort of bogged down in that kind of thinking? Yeah, the, the, Definitely, and especially with women, what I found when I was writing. Uh, Be careful, uh, Effie. Are you are you allowed to say anything <laughs> negative about women? We wouldn't. <laughs> I'm allowed to. I am a woman, but this is not negative. This is more of a case of the situation we're in. In in writing the book, um, A Real Girl's Guide to Money, the strategies for making money are exactly the same. It doesn't matter. I don't care what gender you say you are. It's exactly the same. But the issues that do face women um, are different. And one of it is time poor. In general, trying to juggle everything. And you can't have everything. I mean, balance is bullshit. Um, Because I'm definitely a good example of a mum, a working mum trying to juggle everything. And I would say that being time poor has even prevented me from building my wealth even further, uh, which sounds crazy for someone like myself in this you know, industry. But um, trying to juggle everything, I've, I've found women are great with kind of the micro stuff, that is paying bills on time, you know, making sure the mortgage or the school fees are paid or rent, whatever your case may be. But then when it gets to, you know, oh, my super, oh, I just don't have time for that. And that gets shelved off on the side because, you know, we don't have time and we don't ever get to it, so to speak. So being time poor is something that obviously, yeah, will work against you, of course. So, Effie, what can we do about it? Um, if we can't find – we can't have days of 25 hours. So what's the, is there a solution or we're just going to have to get used to people having a high degree of financial illiteracy? I think trying to strip your finances back to basic. There's no magic formula for, for making money. I mean, 20 odd years that I've been doing this, I think the best tip I got was from Paul when I went and got, you know, this job from him when I left banking. And, you know, he said to me, Effie, it's not what you earn that counts for what you spend, what you spend. And I, I sat there listening to that thinking and it was like the holy grail. I can't believe this is gold, this is and so on. Mind you, I think he used that to grab me on half my wage. But that's <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a um, two-handed play, but we'll give that one to Paul. Go on. Yeah, oh. absolutely, absolutely. I think also, you know, as yourself, keep it simple. But look, I'd like to see employers starting to, to give time to, to people. Um, I, I know here in Bow what I've been trying to do is a, a financial female fit campaign, and we're doing that across all titles because money is important whether you read, say, a fashion magazine or a home magazine. We're now putting for our own staff that uh, once a month we have an, an hour, a power hour, I've called it, whereby we're going to put aside an hour. It's work. It's work time. So the boss is paying us, but we're fixing our own finances. 
So it'd be nice to see maybe, I know a lot of employers are looking after the health of their employees. It's important. It's shown that productivity increases if people are at work and they're not sick. Well, the same happens with you know financial stress, trying to minimise that. It's an employer's benefits to make sure that if they are offering super, make sure it's a damn good super fund. It's not because you've got a great deal out of it as a boss. And if you are offering it, give us some education. Get Give them some time to work on their super if it needs to be amalgamated or whatever the case may be. Mm. So, so Effie, are you taking these little hours of power and and leading everybody in these hours, yeah. hours of wealth yeah. power? And if so, are you recommending they go to switzer.com.au every morning? <laughs> I hope you are. Absolutely, absolutely. That's right. Um, no, I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> you were changed. So, so you're holding back the rest of the country. I'm surprised <laughs> at you, Effie. <laughs> Keeping it very generic, not my role to pick products for people, but merely highlight what they yeah, should okay, be doing. Right here, right here. Yeah. We, we like <laughs> no, the no, idea of the hour of power. That's, uh, yeah, the hour of power is really good. Like I said, everybody's a salesperson, Peter, aren't we? So yeah. we've got to really take financial control. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're in the hands of somebody else. Exactly right. Effie Zahos, thanks for joining us on the Switzer Program. Pleasure. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Of course, when we talk about the headline interest rate. We are also pointing out in this case, there's a comparison rate as well. In our case, there's no difference because there's no charges or fees separating the headline rate to the comparison rate. But when you're going for a loan, make sure you ask the question, what is my comparison rate? Well, at a time when the property sector is responding very positively to the SCOMO re-election result, we're going to be talking to the Head of Real Estate and Funds Management at Centuria Limited, Jason Hulich. Jason, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Okay. So let's just, before we start, because I do want to link your business to the implications from the uh, shock election win for ScoMo, but let's position your business uh, so, so people can understand why I'm talking to you. Yeah, sure. Look, um, we're a listed uh, fund manager, so we have um, two listed uh, REITs, a commercial office REIT and a industrial uh, REIT. Both, both REITs own assets all throughout Australia. And we also have an unlisted funds division where we buy um, commercial office buildings and put them into unlisted fixed-term funds. Yeah, okay. So um, in terms of um, the election result... Um, were you anticipating any negativity if Labor had won? And are there any um, expectations that better outcomes w- will result because of the ScoMo victory? Uh, yeah, look, obviously it was a big, it was a big surprise, the result. Um, you know, we've operated in, in real estate for over 20 years, so we've you know, operated with both sides of, of government in there and, and have done... Uh, pretty well over that time. But look, I think uh, with the, the uh, coalition victory, I think it is a positive um, for our sector. Um, 
look, some of the policies um, that Labor had, I think, would make it you know, slightly harder to operate. And with, with the, the Liberals in, um, I think everyone that I've talked to in real estate is just a, you know, a little bit more comfortable that um, will make uh, business going forward that, that much easier. And in the long run, uh, Jason, I mean, obviously the demand for commercial buildings and for industrial space, that's pretty closely linked to the economy. Is, uh, is that very much the case that uh, if you get the growth in the economy, more confidence that that should actually be good for that part of the market? Yeah, look, definitely. If you look at commercial offices, but, you know, the main driver is white-collar employment, so basically office workers. So when you've got a strong economy, um, it really flows through to demand for uh, commercial offices. And if you look around the country right now, you have all the major markets improving. Um, you have Sydney and Melbourne at probably historic lows. So uh, both markets are in that 3 to 4%, 4% vacancy range, which is the lowest of um probably ever been. So it's a very strong time at the moment. Um, even some of the markets that have suffered a bit from the mining downturn over the last five or six years being Perth and Brisbane, even their vacancy rates have been uh, reducing over the last uh, 18 to 24 months. So I think keeping the status quo going forward will hopefully keep that growth coming and, and keep a positive outlook on all those markets. And, and what do you see as the sort of the medium term outlook? Are there you know, in Sydney and Melbourne, are there are there buildings or projects uh, on the horizons that are going to sort of sure. provide that look, supply um, in due course? Yeah, look, in Sydney, you've got um, five projects that are being built at the moment. So you've got um, you've got two projects down at um, around Circular Key, being land lease and AMP refurbishment. Um, you've got Brookfield at Wynyard. You've got Investor up the top of Martin Place, and um, you've also got Macquarie at Martin Place. So the problem is, because the markets are so tight, um, I think most of this will be absorbed quite quickly. Um, you've got major pre-leases already across most of those projects, um, so with some major law firms and banks committing to some of them. So what usually happens is when you have the new buildings coming out of the ground um, and they do sign up these pre-leases, the buildings that the tenants move out of are usually a lower grade. Um, and what then happens is those buildings are taken out of the market so they can be refurbished and repositioned, and usually that can take you know, 24 months. So you don't see the full impact of vacancy rates uh, increasing significantly. So I think there's enough demand in the market to take this, uh, this next lot of demand, especially in Sydney. There is uh, quite a bit of supply coming in down in Melbourne over the next two to three years as well. That will be interesting to see see how that plays out but as I said they are coming off a 3% vacancy rate which is really as low as it can get Um, so look I'm not too worried about the the forecast supply in the market Okay so one thing that we saw um, the day or the first trading day after the election was banks became really popular again and stocks that people were buying on the expectation that Bill Shorten would win were Utilities, REITs, um, and other you know proxies for for interest rate type stocks. And did you guys experience a bit of an uplift in your listed REITs before we the did, election? We, yeah, look, um, uh, we, our, our REITs have performed quite well over the last uh, few months, uh, particularly our industrial REITs. Demand in, 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 for industrial property is at an all time high. But what we've seen over the last few days since the election is we've seen uh, basically, all three of our listed vehicles, so CNI, our head stock, which is the fund manager, plus the two REITs, 
pretty much uh, reach all-time highs or highs for, for, for probably the last 18 to 24 months. So it's been very, very positive across all those, um, all those entities. Yeah. So if there was a, a market uh, move into banks, you, you, actually, you actually haven't actually experienced it in terms of your share prices. Maybe the confidence factor has, uh, has been spliced into the assessment of your companies. Yeah, look, I, I think so. I think um, I think this just got everyone a lot more comfortable and um, and you know interested in property. You've seen some of the the uh, REITs that are exposed to residential have really big kicks in the last two days. So groups such as Stockland and Mervac um, that have a large part of their portfolio in residential development. Um, with with the labour defeat. It's, um, there's a lot, lot more positivity around those stocks as well. So I tell you what, I think uh, a lot of people would like to understand how you guys f- sort of find a building and then you know make it available for investors. Is there a building on the, on your horizon that you're going to be looking to get? Because the last one I heard you guys chasing, or maybe the last two, was a building in Geelong. And yep. and when I heard that they're going to send a fast train down in Geelong, I thought those so and so's are going to do well out of that. And also, you <laughs> bought right. one in Adelaide, and some people said you wouldn't have gone to Adelaide for a bit, you know, let alone buying a building. But you've you've really backed Adelaide as well, haven't you? Yeah. Look, we try to find areas that um, we believe will improve over the, the medium term. And we've done very well. We've been able to buy assets in areas that some people might not like or can't as cool. and um, that that steadily improve and uh, and which drives demand and rent. So um, the last building we bought was in Adelaide. It was probably the best office building in Adelaide, 80 Grenfell Street, which is across uh, above Rundle Place, uh, which is the sort of the high end shopping centre in the middle of CBD. And the reasons we liked somewhere like Adelaide was it had some very good tailwinds. You know, we probably wouldn't have invested in there a few years back, but they've had a few really good positive things happen down there. So they've had the obviously the sub and the shipbuilding contract, which is about an $80 billion defence contract. Um, they've also built the largest uh, hospital and medical precinct in the Southern Hemisphere. So they've got a really good biomed and health industry down there. Yep. Um, all, all the space industry is going to be based down there. And also, one thing the state government did three years ago, which which we found you know quite amazing and very positive uh, for people looking down there to invest, is they reduced stamp duty down to zero. So it's the only state in, in Australia that you're not paying five and a half percent stamp duty, basically. So when you're buying you know a hundred million or two hundred million dollar building, that's you know five or ten million dollar saving, which makes a big difference to your return. Yeah, very much so. So what markets uh, are you looking at at the moment, Jason? Uh, without uh, yeah. Going to too much detail, yeah. you can't say, but uh, just in broad no. terms. Look, we're very asset specific, so we look across all the markets, and we've got a big acquisitions team looking for value. One thing that we do do is we try we try to buy a lot of our assets off market, so through our relationships mm-hmm. with vendors or agents. So we're not in a competitive position, uh, but we look we're, we're looking further in Adelaide. We think we really think that that's um, that's going to outperform over the next few years. Um, we've been looking in Brisbane, Canberra. Uh, Sydney, we've, we've, we've been working on a very large asset in Sydney, but it's very asset specific. It's where we think we can make value for our investors is um, on that particular asset is, is what we'll buy. Okay, and one final thing from my point of view, just explain how people participate in your purchasing of a building and then how they can actually share in it and make money out of it. 
And maybe yeah, sure. maybe so, use an example that, of the, of a past building where you've done that. Yeah, so so if you look at Adelaide, um, so that was a, a 185 million dollar asset, very high quality building. So we put that into a single asset fund. Um, in that fund, we raised uh, about 120 million of equity, and then we had the remainder in, in debt. So we usually debt, we usually fund these buildings about 40 to 45 percent leverage. Um, then we go out to our investors and we say you can invest usually from a fifty thousand dollar minimum and they can come in and take units in that trust. And what happens is every month from the rent being paid by the tenant, and, and in this case it's one of the large banks, uh, we pay out a distribution to investors. So the first year distribution was 7% per annum, growing over the term of the fund. And, and the term of most of these funds are five years. So after five years, we'll come back to investors and we'll say, well, we recommend we should sell the building. And these are the reasons. Investors vote on that. And if they vote to sell, we then sell the building and hopefully we've added some value and got a capital gain as well so that we can give them back their original investment, uh, hopefully some profit. And they've been getting their sort of 7 7.5% return uh, paid on a monthly basis the whole way through that, that fund term. And Jason, it's not always well understood how you as the manager at AV, one thing's obviously picking the building, but, but how, you know, when you buy a building, what do you do as a manager to add value and make it worth a lot more when... Yeah, you come to sell Look, the, the big part is buying well, obviously, but you know, we've made a lot of money for investors buying assets that might need a little bit of work. So they might have, say, 20% vacancy in them, or they might need their foyers or services upgraded. So we'll go in and we've got very, uh, we've got large property teams in-house and very active um, asset managers. So we'll go in and, and carry out all those works. We'll lease up the space. And the big thing for us is trying to drive the rental income from the, in those buildings. So getting the rents up because we've repositioned the assets um, and getting high-quality tenants in and on longer-term leases. So we might buy an asset that has an average lease term of two or three years, and we'll work with the tenants to extend their leases. That might be a five- or six-year um, average lease term, which means it's a lot mm-hmm. more positively received when we take it to market and sell the asset. Yeah, and, and you can you can make promises around... Uh, expected rents, and even though things could go against you, that increases the likelihood that you'll be able to keep that promise. Yeah, that, that, that's right. With most commercial tenants, um, you know, your lease terms usually range from three to ten years, and you usually have fixed rental reviews. So you might have our commercial portfolio averages about three and three quarter percent every year. The rent goes up by that amount. So, so it's buying well, but there's also quite a work in repositioning to make it a better asset once you've bought it. it yeah, and that's where you can really make the big money in, the, in these purchases. Okay, mate. So um, if people want to know more about you guys, it's centurio.com.au. That's right. Thank you very much. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? If there's one thing a lot of blokes in particular 
don't really think about enough is what they're doing to their insides, their arteries, and a lot of them are candidates for heart attacks and strokes. And the man who's out there policing all the stupid males of the world is Dr. Ross Walker, who's joining us right now. Ross, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great, great to be another stupid male of the world myself and to talk to two less stupid males, the, the fabulous Peter Switzer and Paul Rickard. That's a very nice compliment, Ross. <laughs> so, so is it mainly a male problem, Ross, or, or are women just as uh, vulnerable to having clogged artery strokes and heart attacks? Ah, oh, women are just as vulnerable. The difference is about 10 years. So women are protected by their hormones until menopause, but then there's an acceleration of what we call the atherosclerotic process, which is the build-up of fat in the walls of your arteries. We don't have the same protection, so we cop it earlier. But it's about the same thing. Women get just as much heart disease as men. They just get it 10 years later. I, I figure it's because like, when I'm young and I'm going out for dinner, yeah, I'm having steak and chips and stuff like that, but yep. Maureen's having big salads and stuff like that. Like yeah. a, a man thinks chips is salad, but of course it's not. <laughs> is, it, is it our diet that puts men also more vulnerable than women? Not in the slightest. You see, this is, this is what's complete nonsense about the medical world. We've been told for years that it's saturated fat that causes heart disease. And there's absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever. So if you hear any health professional say that there's a link between the intake of, uh, intake of meat, eggs, dairy, and heart disease, they're not looking at the latest literature. Now, let me, let me just tell you a couple of things. There's a shonky little place in the UK called Cambridge University. And in Cambridge in 2014 released a meta-analysis of 72 trials, 600,000 people showing categorically there is no link between saturated fat intake and heart disease. And over the last couple of years, there have been two releases of what's called the PURE study, the first was 135,000 people over nine years in 50 different countries showing that those who had the highest carbohydrate intake, that's what I call white death, which is sugar, white bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, had a 28% increase in death. Those who had the highest fat intake had a 23% reduction in death. Those who had the highest saturated fat intake, meat, eggs and dairy, had a 14% reduction in death. And, and the, the second part of the PURE study came out last year, 220,000 people. So I added in extra trials into this PURE study, and again, in, in nine-year follow-up in 50 different countries, and found, wait for this one, that if you have three servings of high-fat dairy per day and 100 grams of red meat per day, you reduce your risk for death and cardiovascular disease by 25%. So we've got to put this saturated fat nonsense to bed. What causes heart disease is pure genetics. Now, Pete, you and I have a very good friend mm. who's quite overweight. He's 65. He's overweight. He's uh, one of Australia's top surgeons. And this guy's diabetic and hypertensive. And his coronary calcium score is zero. He has no muck he in eats, his arteries. He eats every crap imaginable as well, doesn't he? he? Exactly, and that does not justify him eating every crap because he has a whole lot of other health issues, mm. but he probably won't die of a heart attack because all heart disease is genetic. It is not caused by your lifestyle, but if you have the wrong genes, it's your genes that loads the gun, it's your environment that pulls the trigger. So again, I know, I know, a, very, I know a very healthy man who did all the right things, used to exercise all the time, still does, uh, but his coronary calcium score is off the scale and he, he 
without knowing it, didn't have any symptoms, but had to go on and have bypass surgery. Mm, yeah. And Ross, what about the other, you know, we were familiar with the risk factors of, of alcohol and smoking and uh, lack of exercise. Are they, are they things, surely they play some habit, have an effect, oh, do oh, look, look, yeah, Paul, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's no link between lifestyle and heart disease. There, there clearly is, but I'm saying it's all to do with how your genes are interacting with your environment. So, for example, if you practice the five keys of being healthy, and those five keys are, number one, to have no addictions. You cannot be healthy and smoke, drink too much grog or snort cocaine. So anyone who's got any addictions to anything is sick. So you can have a 25-year-old that can run marathons, but he smokes cigarettes. That man is still sick. Number two is good quality sleep. So seven to eight hours of good quality sleep every night is as good for your body as not smoking. Number three is nutrition. Now, nutrition is very simple. It's called eat less food and eat more naturally. And if you do that, you are reducing your risk for heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, the rest of it. Number four is what I call the second best drug on the planet, which is three to five hours every week of moderate exercise. And interestingly, more is not better. So people who do seven hours a week of exercise, it's not as good for them as if they do three to five hours. There is a sweet spot like red wine. It's the dose. And number five, the best drug on the planet is a thing called happiness. Now, if I thought you, you were going to say five, sex there for a moment. <laughs> well, that, that may lead to happiness. But, <laughs> but if you do those five things well, those five things reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease by 83%. But you might do those five things badly. And in, in my professional talks, and I, I love going around the world talking with my mate Peter Switzer, mm. when, when, when I, in my professional talks I have a picture of Winston Churchill and a picture of Jim Fix. Jim Fix wrote the complete book of running, didn't have an ounce of body fat, had run multiple marathons, dropped dead in a race at age 53. Winston Churchill smoked, drank, was obese and depressed, died at 91. You can't look at someone and say, you're healthy, you're not. It's about having the right assessment. So what we do in my clinic, which is a thing called coronary calcium scoring, measures how much muck you have in your arteries. And the more muck you have, the more risk you're at. So you do that, you have practice exquisite lifestyle principles. But if you have a zero calcium score, you don't need medical therapy. You just need to keep your life tight and maybe take some simple supplements. But if you've got a lot of muck in your arteries, then you need to start thinking about medical therapy such as statin therapy, blood pressure treatment, low-dose aspirin, etc. It all depends on your level of risk. So it's important, firstly, to find out what your level of risk is, live a good lifestyle, and take appropriate therapy if necessary. If someone comes up with a high calcium score, and, and the calcium score is indicates um, like the, the thickening of the arteries, and it, it could mean that you could have, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I know you will, a blood flow issue that could create a stroke or a heart attack. Yep. Yeah. Um, can, can people listening to this now reduce the the fattening of the arteries and therefore improve their blood flow without having stents or bypass surgery? Oh, uh, the, the, the answer to that is yes, they can, but it really depends on where you're starting from. So again, the coronary calcium score, if you just, just imagine a donut with a hole in the middle, the hole's where the blood's going, but all the action's happening in the wall. Now, that just might be sitting in the wall, but then what happens is just like a fatty pimple sitting there in the wall can rupture internally, cause a clot to form, and that blocks the artery. There's your heart attack. But you might have, say, for example, an 80-90% block caused by little ruptures in the wall that haven't actually totally blocked the artery. 
Now, once you've got up to beyond 70% in, in terms of blockages, that's where it's pretty difficult for lifestyle and, and drug therapy to, to reduce the fat in the wall. So you do need typically a stent or a bypass to overcome that. Mm. But it doesn't mean that once you've had the bypass, you're cured because you still need to keep the muck out of the walls of your arteries and you can thin down the muck in your wall. So, for example, today in my practice, I saw a patient who was in his mid-50s I saw him for a coronary calcium score five years ago, and his coronary calcium score at that stage was about uh, 51, and his um, the volume of the plaque, or how much fat he had in the walls, was, was rating at about uh, 25. I repeated the calcium score today. The calcium score had gone right up three or four times, but the volume had dropped down, telling me I'm reducing the fat in his wall, and he did that through a combination of ongoing lifestyle change and a natural product called Bergamet, which I think everyone over the age of 50 should take. It comes from Calabrian oranges. You take one of those twice a day, and that had actually reduced down the muck in the wall of his arteries with his with his good lifestyle. But yeah, his lifestyle is king, and that has to be the foundation of everyone's therapy. Right, uh uh, Paul, any last questions to Ross before we well, look, get I'm, him back to healing I, the, the sick? I wrote down the, the no addictions uh, and the, the sleep and nutrition and uh, modest exercise and happiness, uh, Ross. But look, if you um, – I just wonder, is there anything immediate if, to all our listeners out there who are perhaps feeling just a little bit stressed and maybe the blood pressure's up a little bit? Is it just really a matter of trying to, to, uh, to focus in on those five issues a little bit? And is there anything well, immediate – no, but Paul, the immediate thing I think for all people is that if you're in, in any situation where you, you've hit the age of 50, you really should be thinking about having a coronary calcium score for a male, age 60 for a female, so you know where you are. Mm-hmm. So it, what, there's a wonderful saying that's been hackneyed for years, knowledge is power. If you know where you are, if you know your coronary calcium score is high, we can do something about it. If we know your coronary calcium score is low or zero, you can be reassured by that. And and that that will also tell you, by having the right sort of assessment, it will tell you what's going on in your heart at the time. I'll just tell you a quick story. I I had a fellow at age 65 wanted to walk the Kokoda Trail. But this is one of these Twilight Zone stories. The daughter had a dream that he died on the Kokoda Trail. So she insisted that he came in here for a checkup for his heart before he went the Kokoda Trail. We did a stress echo on him, no symptoms at all, no history of heart disease. Uh, his, his heart was normal at rest, ECG normal at rest. At the end of exercise, ECG still normal, still no symptoms, but the whole front wall of his heart stopped at the end of exercise. And he and I sent him straight to a hospital where he had an angiogram, severe triple vessel disease. He would have died in the Kokoda Trail. So if anyone's listening, if they're feeling a bit stressed or they're still playing, say, weekend soccer or, or playing relatively high-level exercise, and they, they haven't had a cardiac checkup. My, my plea to everyone is find yourself a good cardiologist, get your heart checked just to be sure you know where you are, and then start practicing those five keys of being healthy. And one last thing, because I, just, as I was listening to you, I realized I probably should alert this. Also, one in five Caucasians are vulnerable to a, a, a little known gene. Explain that, Ross. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not just Caucasians. One in five people around the world have a high level of a thing called lipoprotein little a. So it's L-I-P-O protein, 
lowercase a in brackets. And it doesn't matter how well you look after yourself. If you've got a high LP little a or lipoprotein little a, your risk for a heart attack or heart disease is 70% higher than people who don't have it. And that's 20% of the population. And there's a lot of stuff we can do about it very early on. So I'll give you an example. My son-in-law, this is a personal example, he doesn't mind me telling you this, but my son-in-law's father had a heart attack at 55. And, and I measured his lipoprotein at low, it was very high. Now, it's absolutely genetic. The only way to get it in your bloodstream is to pick the wrong relatives. So I measured it in my son-in-law at age 30. And when I measured his arteries, he had very stiff arteries. So I put him on two natural supplements, uh, which included vitamin C, vitamin E, and lysine, and, and this bergamot I'm talking about. And after two years, his arteries were back to that of a 20-year-old. So if you get people early with this stuff, you can do it before you have to pull out the big guns. Yeah. So so lipoprotein delay is a very, very common problem that really needs to be managed. And and at the moment, it's not on the free list. If you if you went to your GP and said, I want a, te- a blood test for this, it's not on the free yeah. list, but you'd probably have to pay 65 bucks or something. Oh, you? Yeah, 40 yeah. And the point is it's you only need outlying. it done once. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute great investment. You only need it done once. It's either high or it's low. It doesn't change much, so there's no point ever having it again. Yeah. And there's something we can do about it. And also, I just recently, they've been doing some research in America that there's there's a, a new drug. It's an injection you can have once a month that will reduce lipoprotein to delay. Uh, but but the point is, if you don't need to get to that point, I can I can do it with natural supplements before we actually get to having to give you an injection. All right, Ross. As always, thanks for sharing your insights and saving the lives of many Australians. It's always my pleasure, guys. Thank you. And that was Ross Walker, the cardiologist extraordinaire. Paul, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patty. Great show. Yeah. Do you think you'll learn a bit about, about your well, heart? Look, I, I'm really interested about what he had to say about uh, genetics and uh, the the five. Have you had a test? Uh, I have. I've been a cardiologist, yeah, yeah. and uh, I came right. up pretty clear. I didn't. Don't know if I got the cardio um, the calcium score. score if that, score. I got that right, mm. but I certainly have had a test, and uh, I came up pretty clear. Okay. Well, given the fact that we need you around here, I expect you to go and get a calcium score. And uh, if it's not good, I want you to fix it up. Go to see Ross. That's the show. Thanks for joining us. Quentin time. Quentin time. <laughs>